today's going to be a little bit different kind of a day. I'm going to uh, start off kind of differently, and I hope you don't mind. We're in a series. Welcome, first of all. Glad you're back for another week at Southridge. Glad to have you, and uh, hopefully you grabbed a cup of coffee on your way in. You're ready today. We started a series entitled The Ghost, and we're dealing with the um, Holy Spirit and its work in our lives. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that, to me, this week just just got me and just wouldn't let me go. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. If not, uh, pull out your smartphone or iPhone, whatever you want, and um, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. We're going to start verse number 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's in your notes. Um, actually, I apologize. It's not. Today we're going to do things very different. It'll be up on the screen. We're just going to look at five verses, five verses, and then we're going to kind of tie it all together this morning. I hope that what we look at this morning could be a help, and encouragement, and I pray that we would um, see things about the Holy Spirit that maybe we just haven't seen before, and that'll be a blessing and help to us. The Bible says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 1, is where we'll begin. And I love this passage of Scripture for so many reasons, and, and I hope you see all that it's got in store for us today. Let's start in verse number 1. The Bible says, And I, brethren, could, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you all the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I am totally convinced that anybody can do church. Anybody can do church. I am convinced that if you have the right band, I'm convinced that if you have a dynamic speaker, I'm convinced that if you've got friendly people like yourself, anybody can set up church and anybody can just start doing it. Like a lot of things that we can do. But apart from the power and working of the Holy Spirit, there will be no life. And not anybody can do that. I can't do that. Music can't do that. A building can't do that. Apart from the working of the Holy Ghost, nothing happens. The Apostle Paul here is coming to a church that he loves. He first came to this church, as we read in the book of Acts, chapter number 18. He comes on this missionary journey. And, and he comes to the city of Corinth. This city of Corinth was, in many ways, a very uh, trend-setting. This, this city was very influential. It was a place of worship. Many people were coming. This was an amazing city in its day. And here Paul comes to this city, and Paul wants to see God do something. But I love Paul's approach to this church. He said, there's a lot of different things I can do. He said, I can come at you, and Paul was a gifted speaker. Paul was a well-known scholar in his days. Paul was somebody, to be honest, really had some social clout. He was somebody that when, when he walked into the room, people took notice. This was the Apostle Paul. But do you see his approach with this church? He said, I'm not coming to you like somebody who's all that. I'm not coming to you with the latest and greatest pop psychology. 
He said, what you need, and I believe it's what I need, and I believe it's what we need. He said, I'm coming to you with what we really need. A demonstration of the power of the Spirit. A real demonstration. You see, today, a lot of people, they talk about church, and they say, well, well why didn't you go to that church? Or, 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 or how come your kids don't want to be there? Or what's happening? And we could say, you know what, the music is all right, you know? The facility was all right. Or if you're from the east side, it was aight, you know? And you can go all over and you can just say, you know, yeah, we like the people. We like this coffee. They had my favorite kind, which, by the way, we just ordered a bunch more. So don't worry, it's coming. I ordered this one for you guys. It's called Jet Fuel, okay? Jet Fuel. I said, that's what we need, okay? I think I'm going to label all of them Jet Fuel. So when you get in here, you're just with it, man. We don't need a worship band. You guys will be jumping up and down. It'll be great. And... um When I begin to think about this passage, the Apostle Paul, he's making this statement. And he's saying, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's nothing I'm going to manufacture here. I've often been guilty of trying to impress people. It's a personal flaw with me. That everywhere I go, I want to look just right. I want to talk just right. When in Rome, you just want to fit in. I'll go over to somebody's house and I want to make sure everything's just right. I want to show up on time. I want to impress people. Apostle Paul, he's saying, I'm not really worried about impressing you, church at Corinth. He said, my goal is to impact you. And if I were to be honest, there have been times in my life where I think I've been more guilty of trying to impress people and impact people. But at funerals, we don't stand up and say, I was impressed by the person. I like their car. I like their house. At funerals, we say, I was impacted by that person. I don't want to be the Christian that just goes through life trying to impress people. Today, I found my worst pair of jeans. I found an old shirt. I'm wearing shoes with holes in it. Not because I want you to feel sorry for me. I have nice clothes, trust me. But today, what we wear is so much a part of how we try to impress people. And we want to come to church and man, I've got the $500 men's warehouse suits. I've got them. I've got the nice shoes. But Paul, man, he hit me in the heart this week because he said, church, you don't need nice clothes. Church, you don't need me to come at you with three points in a poem sermon. He said, you need a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. And that's the only thing that's going to change this city. It's the only thing that's going to change us. Because we're talking about the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'll be honest, we see very little of it today. And oh, how much we need it. It's almost in this passage that the apostle Paul is almost arguing that if you had to choose one or the other to be held in high esteem to be highly regarded and to have great words and be a great speaker that could just wow the crowds or be the person that was lowly and humble and everybody else just kind of marginalized he said I would rather be the person that the world marginalized but yet have the fullness 
of the power of God on my life. And today, Christian, I'm worried that we're trying to do hip church. I'm worried that we're too much coming to church how we look like. I'm worried that the power of God and His filling on our life is is not where it should be. My fear is that we would go through life and there would be nothing supernatural about us. People would look at us and just simply say, they're a nice person. I'm put to shame how I can meet a Mormon and they can be more kind than me. I'm put to shame I can meet a Buddhist and they have more patience than me. I'm put to shame when I can meet a Muslim who has more discipline than me. After all, I have the Holy Ghost inside of me. And the Holy Ghost is working out the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter number 5. Love, joy, peace. All these things being worked out. But I'm worried that I'm too busy trying to impress everybody. Want to have the hair, the latest style. Want to have the newest clothes, the nicest ride. I want to have the preacher talk down. I want to impress people. But the Apostle Paul, he said, no. We need a demonstration of the Spirit. I'm learning, friend, the Christian life is so counterintuitive. The Apostle Paul will later go on to say, well, let's look at it. Go back one chapter with me. Chapter 1 of this same text. Verse 26, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know, when we ever look at picking people on our team, you know how it goes. We want the biggest and the best. You know how you want it to go for your sports team in the draft? You want the biggest and the best. Anybody upset that LeBron went back to the Cavaliers this week? No, I didn't think so. Everybody's like, no, that's good. But everybody wants the biggest and the best. God says, when I'm picking teams, he said, that's not my criteria. And I'm afraid, church, that we've got a criteria of what God uses, and it's not based on Scripture, but it's based on our own thinking. The Bible says, verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, God says, I want to endue you with power. I want you to do some stuff, church, that everybody else just scratches their head and said, how in the world? They do that. I want you to be the type of person where everybody else is, when they would get cancer, they would just fold up. But when it comes to you, there's some peace and quiet strength there. Where everybody else would get ticked off at how they were treated by the boss, but yet there's still respect and kindness coming from you. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, none of that can happen. Where everybody else could look at a small church and say, why go there? Why be a part of that? But apart from the Holy Spirit working. This morning, we see Paul pointing out some things that he says over and over how counterintuitive the Christian life is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he said, 
I take pleasure in mine infirmities, in my reproaches, in my necessities. He says, when I'm destitute, when I have nothing, that's my necessity. He says, I take pleasure in persecution. When I'm persecuted, he said, I take pleasure in that. He said, when I'm distressed, when I'm depressed, when I'm discouraged, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, Christian, we so often want the power of God on our lives, but we want to keep the GQ image. We want the power of God, but yet we want society to respect us. We want the power of God, but we don't want to pay a price. And I'm telling you this morning, the Christian life is very counterintuitive. Last week, I was worried that we were diving into kind of a deeper topic. And I was worried how how you would receive it. I was very nervous about the message. I spent time with many of you this week. And there was only one thing you would talk about. And it wasn't necessarily the message. It was what the Holy Spirit was now becoming alive to you. It's like for the first time, you're not seeing in black and white. You're seeing an HD Blu-ray color, and it's awesome. And you're starting to wake up to this realization that the Holy Spirit wants to do some powerful things in your life. And that message stayed on, on you, and it just kind of permeated your life. And there was some pressure this week to try to repeat it. But I had to just get on my knees and say, God, I can't repeat something. I need something fresh. Because we can't be a church that just kind of rehashes things. You see, we want to impact people, not impress people. There's very little that's impressive about us. And it used to bother me. Now I'm not saying let's not do a good job. The Bible does say, and whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do with all thy might. I do think things should be done excellently. I'm OCD, folks. Every little thing needs to be right. There's cords right down here that they're not straight and it's bugging me. You don't know it. And it's just like, man, there are little things that just, you know, sometimes it's just little things get to me. But I have to go back that when I'm weak, I'm strong. This morning, we're going to talk about this, how to live a supernatural life. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's arguing this argument to this church and he's saying, I want you to live a life that couldn't be explained. That's what the message that he's trying to get across at this church. He's saying, I want you to live a life where everybody else has to scratch their head and say, you? God did that through you? God did that in your marriage? God did that in your job? God did that for you? I talked with a pastor friend early in June, and um, they recently had a newborn son. He's just a few months old, but I had known some things had been happening medically. They were asking people to pray for their son. And he said, Micaiah, I've never experienced something aside from, there's no answer for it except from God's work. I don't know the technical term my wife does, but he said, here's a picture of when we did an ultrasound. The baby's brain was not connected to the spinal cord. They said, you see this blank? They said, that's all fluid. This baby's not going to live. Something's wrong. And he said, for 14 days, I just fasted and prayed and said, God, I need a miracle. He said they were going to do a C-section on the baby. Doctors were surrounding. They had multiple surgeons. He said, we didn't know what was going to happen. 
But the doctors were prepared for the worst. And he said it was the worst 14 days of his life. He said it was horrible. He said the doctors are telling you, this son, we, we don't know what's going to happen. He may live, and if he lives, he'll be a vegetable. We, he, there's nothing to work. He'll just sit in a chair or he'll lay on a bed, and that's it. He'll, he'll never move, and he'll die at a young age. And he said, Makai, I just, I just went to the Lord about it. And he said, when they, when they pulled the baby out, he said, the doctors just looked at each other and said, this baby's fine. There's nothing wrong with this baby. They said, we don't understand it. Because we have pictures from the ultrasound. 14 days ago, this was not the same baby. He said, it was a miracle. He said, the doctors couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain it. How much of your life is explainable? Yeah, I got the job. I'm just good at getting jobs. It's explainable. My great fear is that I would go through life and everything in my life would be easily explained. Rest assured, church, if everything in our life and in our church can be easily explained, it's a sign that there's an absence of the Holy Spirit and His power at work. I don't know about you, but I didn't sign up for a Christian life where we just kind of everything is explained away. Or we can get science and we can get some book or we can get some speaker to kind of tell us how that happened and why that happened. I want to be able to step back and say, but for God, I got no other answer, but God did it. I got no other reasoning aside from the fact that God did it. I want to be able to look back and see God use a church and say, it was God. It wasn't any talent. Yeah, we were coming up with ideas. Yeah, we were trying to work. Yeah, we were wanting to do stuff. Yeah, we were pouring money into this. And yeah, we wanted to do that. We wanted to impact the city. But it, it was all God. I can't take credit for it. You can't take credit for it. Honestly, how many of us think David really could have killed Goliath? How many of us really think Moses split the Red Sea because he's got some really cool powers? He's related to Aquaman or something. That's not what happened. How many of us think Gideon, with his 300, took out 100,000 of the Midianites with 300 men? We just think that just, just happened? What about Elijah on Mount Carmel? As he called down fire from heaven, we think, man, it just happened to be a meteor shower? We just can explain that away? Why is it that we can talk about miracles? We can listen to sermons about miracles. But in your life and mine, and the lives of our children, the lives of those closest to us, we're surprised by miracles. Why are we surprised when God works? Why does it catch us off guard? Why do we say, God, you saved that person, never thought would get saved? Wow! God says, I want to save everybody. Why are you surprised? Man, I had that bill and God, you came through. Wow! God said, of course I'd come through. You're my child. You're my daughter. I promised you I'd come through. Why are you surprised? God, I, I, I didn't know how my child was ever going to come back to you. I was so worried. And I was up at night. And I was just not sure what was going to happen. And God, like a prodigal son, you brought him back. Wow! And God's saying, of course. They're mine more than you're, they're yours. 
we're too often surprised. The Apostle Paul is trying to tell this church, we need to stop being surprised by God. You know, too many times I I talk to people, and I'm not going to try to get political. I try not to. Um, But they talk about this country. And they say, this country just doesn't take God very seriously anymore. Look at our public schools. They're a mess. They don't let us pray. They don't let us have the Ten Commandments. Look what they did on the courthouse. And look what they're doing on the radio station. And look what they're doing on the television station. Just fun. They don't take God very serious anymore. And now, not that I'm cynical. Don't get that at all. I love this country. I believe that we need to get back to biblical morals. I believe there are some things that we are doing that's an atrocity to an almighty God. But my big concern is not that the government take God seriously. It's not that the public school take God seriously. My biggest concern is that I take God seriously. Too often it's, I can come to church on Sunday. Time to get serious, guys. We're in church. Be on our best behavior. Got to get serious. And I'm worried that the rest of the world looks at us and says, everything about your Christianity is easily explained. There's nothing miraculous or supernatural about it. It's all very natural. And I'm afraid it's because, not that I need to blame somebody else, but I need to blame myself, that I just don't take him very serious. And you say, well, I've been hurt, and God has left me. No, quite the opposite. You see, God sent his son, Jesus. Isaiah chapter number 14 gives a wonderful word for him, calls him Emmanuel. You see, when God sent his son, Jesus, that shows that God is for us. And then when the prophet Isaiah uses the term Emmanuel, that means God is with us. Jesus was with the disciples. And then in John 14, where we looked at last week, he said, I will send you another comforter. I will send the paraclete, which means a constant companion, which last week's outline, we referenced that we are no longer alone. We are now no longer abandoned. We are now no longer without the advantage. You see, now God says, I'm not only for you. I'm not only with you. I'm going to work through you. That's the Holy Spirit. So let's not fold up and say, wait a minute, I can't do any of that stuff. And, and, and so much of my life can be explained. And, and, and I, I just don't know why. You see, here's my confession. It's that I want to live the same way I've always lived. But I just want better results. I don't want to change anything about my life. But I just want God to do more. That's my confession. That's hard for me to get that honest. It's hard for me to admit I'd rather sit on the couch and eat M&M's but then get a six-pack by the end of the day. I would rather have that. Not going to happen. Jesse's here. His dad told me he benches 300. When his dad told me that, I about fell over. I said, that's like four of me. He could like stack four of me and then bench press me. I said, you know, you don't get that by just saying, yeah, I'm going to just kind of watch TV all day. I look at somebody who's got a growing and thriving business and I think, man, that must be nice as I click onto Facebook. As I play a little bit more of Farmville. 
Oh, it's getting real now, isn't it? You say, well, well, I want to have that talent. I want to be able to sing like Bethany gets up there and sings. But I never want to practice. I never want to work at it. I just want it to happen. Hey, I just want to live the same, but I want better results, God. That's my confession, Christian. I don't want to read my Bible more than I already am. I don't honestly want to pray more than I pray. That's not a good thing for a pastor to admit, is it? That puts me to shame. Because here the Apostle Paul said, I came to you with a demonstration of power. And in my mind I thought, what does it take to have a demonstration of power? The Apostle Paul, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the deserts of Arabia. He spent two years there in that desert before God ever used him. 40 days, 40 nights. He didn't make some vegetable broth and kind of live off of that. Biblical fasting meant water, no food. Wasn't he fasted from caffeine? Wasn't that he fasted from chocolate? Wasn't that he fasted from television, internet? He said, I want different results. I'm going to do something different. Those of you that lift weights, you know that if you're going to bulk up, there's got to be times when you say, I'm going to change the way I do something. Those of you that say, I want to be better at something, you know that you've got to spend the time to see it accomplished. See, too often we want to live the same, but we just want better results. You've heard it said, to make a difference, you have to be a little different. But we don't want to. Can I make another confession? I want to play it safe. I don't want to take risks. The Apostle Paul, he talks about in the second, right, uh, second uh, letter to the church at Corinth, he said, a day and a night I spent in the deep. He said, three times I was beaten within an inch of my life. He said, I was in prison often. He said, I was stoned to death. It was only by the Holy Spirit that he was even resurrected. He did, in fact, die. But yet he came back. He said, I was stoned to death. He said, I was beaten with rods. But he said, all this happened for the furtherance of the gospel or for the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, I can see now why he had a demonstration of power. It's one thing to talk about power, isn't it? But we want to see it. Seeing is believing, right? You see, we want to play it safe. I heard a quote, great quote last week. Everyone wants hell. Or excuse me. No, take that back. <laughs> Everyone wants heaven. But nobody wants to die to get there. Everybody wants heaven. But nobody wants to die to get there. We all want the benefits. We don't want to pay the price. When am I going to get serious about God? You see... Not only does the Apostle Paul encourage this church to say, I want you to have the life that everybody else says it can't be explained. He says when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you will live a life that you can endure. Because some of you, you're looking at your life like, how can I endure anymore? How can I keep going? 
How can I maintain in my Christian walk? It's so difficult. The bills are stacking up. Life is just beating me up. I'm feeling, and have you ever said this? The pressure. My wife has a pressure cooker. I've never used a pressure cooker before. I've been close to one. You've got this crazy seal that locks on and it's got like this corkscrew so it doesn't pop off and you put the water in there and then you turn up the heat and some of you feel like, that's my life. My life is a pressure cooker. And I see that thing, that little gauge on top of the pressure cooker and it's in the red all the time. Starts in the red when the kids get up and it doesn't leave the red till the kids go to bed. Or till the husband goes to bed. I'm just living in the red. And I feel like I'm going to explode. The Apostle Paul says, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we endure. He wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth, he said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, Above strength, even in so much that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who deliver us, us from so great a death, and doth deliver us, in whom we trust that he will deliver you. The Apostle Paul was saying, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have a life that you can endure. You see, the thing with that pressure cooker, I know it's intense. But my wife can take a roast or a piece of meat that's frozen, hard, normally takes several hours to cook, throw it in that pressure cooker, and in less than an hour, we got pot roast, baby. Here's another illustration for you. It's summertime. Water fights abound. One of my favorite things to do is hide in a bush with a big super soaker and wait for victims and soak them. But the thing about a super soaker is you've got to take that water and you've got to build up the pressure, don't you? See, God says, you want to have power? I've got to build up a little pressure. Because when we build up the pressure, that that's when your life has the power. It's when you're going through this time, you just feel like, I can't take it anymore that God says, get ready. We're about to bust out of here. We're about to explode. We're about to do something that the rest of the world can't explain. And why they can't explain it is because you're going through this pressure. You're going through this financial times. You're going through this physical time. You're going through this relational time. You're going through this marital time. You're going through this difficult trial that you're asking people to pray for. You're asking people to fast for. And God says, just hold on. And you feel like, I'm about to explode. God, I can't take it. And God says, just wait. I'm going to use this pressure. That's why pressure washers are so effective. Because they focus the water. See, God says your life, you want real power. You want real effectiveness. You want real impact. You can't impress people. If that's your goal, you'll never impact people. If you're just trying to go around and see how many people you can impress with your Christian life, I'm sorry, friend. And I say it as nice as I can. I'm sorry. God never called you. You say, yeah, it's there in the book of Hezekiah, chapter 3, verse number 4. Thou shalt impress thy neighborest. No, it's not there. 
And Hezekiah is a king, not a book. But we're so busy trying to impress. And here God's saying, no, no, I want you, my church, my child, I want you to impact people. You see, I meet too many people where the pressure gets to them. You say, yeah, Brazil, what happened? The pressure get to you? Like, come on, for real? Pressure gets to us. It gets to Christians. It gets to relationships. There's just the pressure. For me, it seems like every week on Monday morning, there starts the pressure. You got to do it again in six days. You got to get up there and get something fresh in six days. There's this pressure. Yesterday at midnight, there was this pressure. I thought maybe I could just fake myself out and pretend I'm not going to preach. And I'll just tell Jane she's preaching like last minute or something. You know, just kind of, here's my sermon notes. Just kind of tag team somebody else. Just kind of pick somebody else on the crowd. I talked to you and at your growth group, some of you can preach. I'm like, man, they could probably do a way better job. You just start the pressure, the pressure. But there was a sermon I heard recently and the preacher said something that's really good. And I'm going to steal it. He said, when are we going to get to the point when we say we're better under pressure? Some of us, we really are. It's not till the pressure comes that you actually change. It's not until the project's due the next day that you do the project. You had all semester to do it. But it's the night before and it's an all-nighter and you and Monster and Red Bull and everything else, man, you're having a party. We wait. We procrastinate. But we need to get to the point where we say, God, I'm better under pressure. I can endure. I can make it. I'll keep going. You see, when you're stuck, don't stop. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying through the Apostle Paul to tell us this morning. That you're going to feel stuck in your Christian life and you're going to feel like, I just can't endure anymore. And he's going to say to you, don't stop. He said, it'd be very easy to just walk out on this relationship. Yeah, it would. And maybe that's what your dad did, or your mom did, or somebody in your life did. Just walk out. That's the easy way. You say, maybe somebody in your life, they just couldn't take it. Your boss just couldn't take it, so they just said, I'm going to end my life. Who does that benefit? It only benefited them. Everybody else was left with the pieces. I call that an emotional hand grenade. They pull it, throw it, and they run. And you're left to pick up the pieces. And you feel like, I can't keep going. How can you just leave me like that? Don't you hate it when somebody's calling you and then they just hang up? And you're like, I didn't even get to finish. They just left you with an emotional hand grenade. Boom, enjoy that. Somebody sends you a message on Facebook and then signs off. Boom. Not that any of you would ever do that. Your boss just says, you're fired. Boom. He said, I I just can't keep going. I'm just going to stop. Kid walks out. Oh. Your spouse says, I just don't know if this is working anymore. The doctor says the cancer's back. You think, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to quit. That's the easiest thing to do when the pressure comes. But the Apostle Paul is saying, when you're stuck, don't stop. Don't stop. Winston Churchill, he said, when all hell breaks loose, by all means, don't stop. When all hell breaks loose, by all means, don't stop. Because you're stopping right in the middle of something you don't want to be in. So don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. You keep going. You say, 
but I've, but I've messed up. It is my fault. The reason the relationship's like that, it's my fault. The reason the boss let me go is because I was supposed to be there at 7.30. My alarm, and I usually get there at 9.30. It was my fault. So what do I do when I mess up? You don't give up. I wrote this down. Linger on the lesson. Don't fixate on the failure. Linger on the lesson. Don't fixate on the failure. Satan would love for you just to get all fixated on this problem, on this mess, and you just stay stuck in this. But the power of the Holy Spirit, when it's at work, He sees in your life the unexplainable, and then He helps you to endure things that everybody else just scratches their head and says, Wow, how did you go through that? How did you endure that? And then, and then, they say, I want what you got. That's the only time they do. They don't say, I want what you've got when you're rolling in the new car and you've got everything good and the kids are perfect and everything is perfect and it's sunshine and and butterflies and, and man, everything's just all good. They're not like, what's your secret, man? No, they're just like, I'm jealous. And they really are jealous. But it's when they see you walk through the difficulty, it's when they see you go through the pressure Then they say, it's real. It's real. Everybody else would have quit. Everybody else would have stopped. They say, man, there's that person in my life and I'm just tired of loving them. I'm just tired of constantly giving and giving and I'm always there and I feel like I'm some divine doormat for them. They just wipe their stinking feet on and I don't know if I could take it anymore. But yet you just stay and you just keep on staying faithful. That's really what Matthew 5 is. The Beatitudes, Jesus Christ is really just giving them these life lessons about how to endure difficulty. You see, your life really can be one where you can endure. But here's the exciting thing about when we let the Holy Ghost come inside of us and do something. Not only will you live a life that everybody else can't explain, You'll live a life that can be endured. You'll live a life that could be earth-shaking. That's what we need. Acts chapter number 2. They were all together in one accord. They prayed. The Bible says, and the earth shook. There was a mighty rushing wind came down. When are we going to get to the point where we have earth-shaking, window-rattling, ground-breaking Holy Ghost power in our lives. We need it. We need it like we need air, but we're so not conscious of it. We do so much in our own strength. You see, you say, I want that. I want God to do something earth-shaking in my life. And I know that seems abstract, But can I tell you really what holds us back from really having that in our life? It takes total surrender for God to really do something. And here's my fear, church. If I totally surrender to God, what will he ask me to do? Really? 
If I say, God, I'm yours. But what are you going to ask me to do now that I'm all yours? Yeah, I want to be used. I want you to do something in my life, God, but what are you going to ask me to do? You're going to ask me to go to a foreign country, leave my comfort, comfortable life? I was reading a book this week where a church, the elders of the church really began to study Acts chapter number 2, 3, and 4 and said they sold their houses and they gave to everyone that had need. The elders of that church, the leaders of that church, the pastor of that church looked at each other in that boardroom meeting. And one by one, they began to pull out their wallets, pull out their keys, pull out their funds, checkbooks. And they set it on the table. And they said, I have not been living that passage. They said, who has need? Here's my wallet. What's your need? Take care of it. One said, I have extra cars. Who in this church doesn't have it? All of a sudden, so this church began to do some radical things. You say, are you advocating that we need to get that radical? I'm saying we're afraid of what the Holy Spirit may ask us to do. I am. I'm scared to death. When God called my wife and I to plant this church, it meant a $40,000 pay cut. In the Bay Area. That's no small chunk of change. We're doing just fine. You say, how? I can't explain it. I really couldn't. It wouldn't make any sense to you. You say, I know you're cooking the books or something. No. <laughs> I know what's happening. You got a little street pharmacy side going on. the bit. No. Uh-uh. You say, you make Megan stand on the corner with a cute little sign that says homeless. And No, I thought about it. but we're afraid because God doesn't come to us with a multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. God says, will you do it or will you not do it? That's what he does. And God says, my will though, when you surrender, he says, it's not something you're going to hate though. The apostle Paul is arguing that we want this power, we want this earth-shaking life And he's begging us because the Apostle Paul knows that to give up is the only way to gain. It's the only way. The Apostle Paul said the only way to live is to die. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have crucified the flesh. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And can I tell you what, church? That's not a popular message. Because I want to impress you. I want to get up here and just talk to you about your marriage. I just want to get up here and I just want to talk to you about your kids. I just want to get up here and I want to just talk about the promises of God. That is all I want to talk to you about. Because I want you to leave out of the here just feeling so good. I want you to high five me. I want the chest bumps. I want people to feel like, let's go to dinner. I feel so good right now. And I know this message doesn't feel very good. Because this week has been just, my God, really? But as I read the Bible, I can't get around it, guys. I can't get around that a church that ever ha- that really has impact doesn't have sacrifice. Jesus talked with his disciples in the Gospels. 
And it's called the drink my blood and eat my flesh passage. And the Bible says that many of his disciples went away after that. They said, what in the world? That's weird. I don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus kind of thinned the herd. My brother asked me, he was up here on Thursday, and he said, you know, a message like that might thin the herd. I said, I know. I'm scared. I said, I know it's not popular. I said, I know there's a lot of good churches, a lot of good programs. I said, I've thought about joining them. (laughs) I thought about maybe they need a pastor over there. But I said, you know what? But when God calls you to do something, you just do it. This is not the most polished message I know. Matter of fact, you usually see me up here with an iPad. You usually see me up here with um, notes and graphics and slides and videos. Today, it's just my personal journal. This morning's message is what I've been preaching myself all week. Last night, I just kept writing. Jane folds the bulletins on Saturday nights, gets them all ready. She puts the notes in. She said, hey, babe, there's, there's two outlines here. Which one? I said, I don't know. I said, there's two messages. Which one are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. I know one will go over really well. I know everybody will like it. I know they'll feel good. The other one is not really a message. It's not really. The other one is just what I believe God is calling us out to do. We talk about that we're a church where you can come and you can grow. We talk about that we're a church that it's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. And this is what I want for you. But I can't force you to do anything. But I believe that God is calling us out as a church. And apart from the power of the Holy Ghost, we can't do it. We can quit now. Or we can keep doing it. Just keep doing it. I used to have an old car. And it worked every once in a while. But there was something wrong with the carburetor where the fuel didn't always get to the, to the gas. It was an old car. Most cars don't have carburetors anymore. And the fuel wasn't getting there. So you, you, you couldn't ever take your foot off the accelerator. You had to put your foot on the gas and on the brake when you wanted to stop. Just enough so the car didn't die. Anybody feel me? Do I have a witness this morning? Thank you. And when you stop, got to keep the gas going. Otherwise, this car's going to die. Because there was a fuel intake problem. I drove that car broken for so long. It's just a simple problem. Easy fix. There's a carburetor. It's not even, you could change out a carburetor. But I just kept dealing with that. And some of us, I'm afraid we're going through life and we feel like, man, I just got to keep giving it gas. I just got to keep giving it gas. Just gotta, man, you're killing your gas so fast. Can't idle and you just feel like, man, I'm just doing this all and you are doing it all. It's amazing what we can do by ourselves. You are talented. You are good at your job. You are amazing. You've got charisma. You've got character. You've got competence. There's all these things that you are, and you can just keep doing it the way you're doing it. And you'll probably be fine.
You look fine to me. Your marriage looks good to me. Your kids are here. Seems pretty good to me. Or we can say, nah, I want something different. I want something different. And we come to that point where we say, God, I don't know what different looks like, but I'm willing. It comes down to this. Do we want to lead God or are we going to let God lead us? That's what it comes down to. God, come on, I want you to go over here. Bless this. Do this. Or God, lead me. Lead me. And you will see blessings abound in your life. I'm not saying there's not going to be difficulties. I'm not saying it's not going to be a fight. But I'm just saying you step back and you just watch as God does some powerful things. There's an old song. We used to sing it. I surrender all. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. Not trusting myself. But I surrender all. This week as I prayed, I just got on my hands and knees and once again I just kept giving God things in my life. Just just kneeling, just praying, just saying, God, what in my life have I not given to you? And can I tell you what? All hell broke loose this week in my life. All hell broke loose. I was like, God, here I'm giving you stuff and stuff just happens. God says, I know. So I'm not going to get up here and say, you're going to give it all to God and God's going to give it all back, baby, and it's going to be awesome. You just might have a week like mine. You say, now you're scaring me out of making this decision. My heart is moved. I'm about to make a stinking decision. Why don't you just shut your trap and I'll just make a decision. One last scripture in Romans chapter number 12. Apostle Paul says, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says, I'm begging you to do it. I'm begging you. And that's when we will truly experience earth-shaking, window-rattling, real power in our lives. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray right now.